All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome here. We are live in Las Vegas. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show, wherever and however you may be watching and listening today. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is where you can like and follow me on social media platforms. Also, follow me on Spotify for all of my podcast episodes and subscribe to both the Snake Sports Talk Show and the Spotlight Sports Network as we are live in the network. And um, hit the bell button as well. Catch up on all of our latest episodes and latest videos from myself and all of our great colleagues here in this great network. Happy Sunday to all of you guys. Hope you all are having a fabulous and great weekend. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely had a, a pretty, pretty chill weekend. Love it. And by the way, I'm here repping my Michael Jordan jersey here because when I'm going to shift to, we're talking a lot about the last two episodes of The Last Dance. If there's anything that the documentary has taught myself and has even taught all of us, even while we're all going through this pandemic, mind you, I hope all of you guys are staying safe, staying healthy, and doing exactly your part throughout this pandemic, um, as we will get through this very soon. But one thing that I will say is that if there's anything that The Last Dance has taught me, that whether you're an NBA fan or you're not, there were a lot of obstacles that Michael Jordan had to co had to pretty much hurdle through. He had to overcome all throughout his life. Mind you, he had no support from his father, had no support from his brother, let alone had support of some people in, you know, in the NBA world. He comes in, doesn't come out of high school as a big time, you know, five-star prospect. No, he comes out of North Carolina, gets drafted number three overall by Chicago. And you know who was the only Hall of Famer in front of him? Akeem, Hakeem Olajuwon. That's it. But ever since then, in the 80s, Michael Jordan has shaped himself to where his legacy stands today. So as we get prepared for these last two episodes of The Last Dance, which I can't wait for, um, one thing that I will say about Michael, and we're all now, like, we did not know this before. We didn't know this before because, number one, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player in the world, winning six titles, never losing in the finals, this and that. And, you know, we talk about Scottie Pippen. We talk about Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, and uh, Tony Kukoc. And a lot of things now in this documentary have shed the light on not only just the type of person that Michael is before and is now, but is also shaping to what the league is currently. As I've said, the NBA, since Steph Curry arrived, is a shooter's league. The NBA in Jordan's time was not so much of that. In Michael's time... It was a lot of physicality. You had to work hard to get points and get baskets. And every minute counted. That's the way that the NBA was played. Michael had to go through the bad boys of Detroit. Michael had to go through the dysfunctions of the general managing with Jerry Krause and so many others. I mean, they were in the process of saying, well, I think we should start thinking about the future. 
But we all knew it was too early for that. Because the team wasn't ready to start reshaping itself and to start to move on and think about the future. They weren't ready for that. After the fifth title, that's when things really started to change. But in the end, after grinding it out with all the doubters and with all of the um with all the like just the the the, the latest articles about the Bulls, you had all these critics, you have all these analysts talking about will this be the final the final stand for the Chicago Bulls and for Michael and Scottie Pippen. Everybody would have told you yes. To me personally, I really don't think it, it should have been because everybody still had enough juice to give this team more titles. Michael chose at one point when his father passed, he chose to play baseball because it was one thing that his father loved. He loved watching baseball. Michael grew up watching baseball as well. And if there's anything baseball will teach you, it would teach you so much about life. So Michael goes on, takes a year off, even though that when they said that, hey, you know, Michael, we're, we're going to suspend you for a year. And then by the time you come back, like, it'll be like nothing ever happened. But Michael, of course, took a chance, played baseball. But when things didn't really work out, he went back to what he loved doing the most, and that was playing basketball back with Chicago. Remember, again, a sports memory of mine. I was born on March 19, 1995. It was the day after Michael Jordan in the 18th said he was back to playing ba uh, basketball. He was back with the Bulls. He was back with Scotty, Phil Jackson, and so many others in the organization, and he was ready to play again. And they played the first game on the 19th. It's a hell of a memory. It is a hell of a memory. But if Michael, if there's anything that it has taught us in this documentary, that everything that comes in in life, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's um, you know friendships with your closest ones, whether it's your family or your friends, there are some things in life that don't come easy. There are a lot of obstacles that we all go through in life. But the real lesson and the real teaching behind this is how do we overcome those obstacles? How does it shape us to being the people that we are? Listen, Michael, anybody can say this. Everybody could say Michael was a big-time trash talker. Well, then what about Kobe? What about Kobe? What about AI? All these other players. Look, Everybody gives Isaiah Thomas crap because of the fact of, number one, he was part of the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons, and that was how it was. Everybody was like, well, they, they didn't shake hands. They, they, they were disrespectful, and we don't need that in a game. But here's the thing. There was a reputation that Isaiah Thomas had to live under. Was it by choice? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Kevin Garnett as well. Another one who was a big-time trash talker. But what people don't realize and don't understand, it wasn't really so much of ego-driven as most people portrayed it to be. It was more of, if you're working harder than I am, then show me that. The best game that I've watched, 
Kobe versus MJ. Kobe was the big rant and rave. Comes out of high school, gets drafted by the Hornets, gets traded to the Lakers, and he became the face of LA. Like he became all of LA for 20 years. Because all it was was hard work and determination. He would get up about 2, 3 a.m. just to go into the gym, work on his shots. You know what was interesting? Was, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, a current NBA player for the Clippers. When he had his time with Kobe, Kobe asked him, how many shots have you taken? And Kawhi, being honest and not really, you know, the social type, told him, this is how much that I've shot. And he said, I shot over 80 times. Because Kobe, his drive and his mama mentality mindset, every shot counts. Take a risk. Ain't that how MJ ended up portraying that in this documentary? MJ was so competitive, regardless of the trash talk, regardless of just, you know, the the hard-headedness and the grit. He was so competitive that when people challenged him, he was he was willing to take the challenge. He was willing to be competitive. And sometimes it hit him a little bit when you know, you, you, you come across those losses and think about how I could have been better in the game. That's for the love of the game. And if you look at this era, not just in basketball, but in sports in general, it is so political. There's a lot of money involved that there's no love for the game as much. You, you very rare come across players who love the game for what it is. I myself could tell you I absolutely love the game for what it is because it teaches me so much about not just the game itself, but life beyond it. Because there are certain things in life we all go through, but it gives us a teaching in the end. And so for this documentary, for the final episodes of The Last Dance, I can't wait for it. It is all going to come in full circle and how this team won the sixth championship and how they said, what a hell of a ride. What a hell of a ride. Because I guarantee you, and I've said this yesterday, no one in this era of NBA, regardless if it's Kawhi or LeBron or Paul George or James Harden or Steph Curry, all of them, I guarantee you, would not last one single day in those shoes in that era of basketball. Lots of physicality. You had to be, you had to build yourself to be prepared for that. You had to strengthen yourself up. It was a lot of strength and conditioning. It was a lot of it. Because whether you took an elbow to the face or you got punched, you had to learn to get back up and keep playing. MJ did that. Scotty did that. Dennis Rodman. They all went through it. They all went through it, regardless of what critics and analysts said about the Bulls. Regardless. But when people, and here's what's interesting, because I'm 25 years old, and people in my age group are just now finding this out. They're just now understanding. Listen, folks older than me, which are maybe in their, you know, their their late 30s, early 40s, may understand this. 
and they may have already seen this through and through because that was where real life lessons was from. My, my pops tells me every single day with all the challenges that he has been going through in the last month, always tells me it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much that you can take the elbows to the face, how much you could take the punches and all this, even the trash talks, but still keep moving forward, keep pushing, keep striving. Because that's not there to belittle you unless you allow it. But it's there to shape you. And I guarantee you right now, I mean, Michael, he's being honest with you. He is putting you in his shoes of what he had to go through and where he is today. He doesn't talk a whole lot. He tells you this. I want to enjoy my life. I've done my years. I've done what I needed to. I'm ready to enjoy life. I can't wait for these last two episodes. I cannot wait. Uh, so let me shift to this. So the NHL, finally, we're having some news today. Because, again, I drive by T-Mobile Arena every single day, and I hear nothing but crickets. Nothing but crickets, because we don't know what's happening in the world of hockey. But um, I have a really, really good guest on. Uh, JD is going to be joining me here on the show a little later on. Um, but here's the thing. In the NHL, what they proposed is they proposed a 24-team playoff bracket if the NHL was to start the Stanley Cup playoffs tomorrow. Like, we'll just put it that way. So I think this is interesting because, you know, you have 24 teams in. Now, this is where I think a lot of people are kind of thinking, because, look, we got NASCAR coming on today. Beautiful, beautiful day in Darlington today. And there's going to be a lot of obstacles. Drivers now have to get back into real-time driving. So we're getting some sports back. Yesterday, we heard about soccer coming back. We heard about um, potentials of MLB. Now, we're not sure how that that's going to flow through, but they're going to try to make a comeback somehow, some way. And so is the NBA. And we'll discuss that a little later on. But in NHL, because... You really can, I mean, you could play without fans because the glass, you know, you're not worried about so much about what's going to happen behind the glass. So players are protected, but players are close to other players and they're close to staff members and coaches. So there are a lot of obstacles. However, we know about the season and we know, I believe we were about eight games left of the season. We were about eight games left of the season before we said, okay, we're time for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And there were a lot of teams that were making pushes for the playoffs. I mean, the Rangers were on a hot streak. Um, Philadelphia got themselves into a hot streak to where they're leading their division. Pittsburgh hanging in there. Uh, Edmonton making it into the playoffs. Calgary. Parts of it, you know, Vancouver, I think, fell off the wagon and then they, you know, they couldn't possibly make it. But a 24-team playoff. So 12 teams in the Western and the Eastern Conference. I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. I don't know how they're going to play uh, all these games unless if they're trying to make it a best of three 
Now they may tr- they may turn around and say that those first rounds may be best of threes, but I still believe that if you get into the second round, it should be a best of five. The championships, like the the, the Western Conference championships and the Eastern Conference championships, should be best of seven. Same with the Stanley Cup final, because at least there's a part of fairness in this in this matter. Now, we already know because we've heard multiple, multiple times about financial hits, financial pay cuts. Because once these arenas start opening up, now there were a lot, of, there were a couple of remote areas, and I'll pull them up in, uh, in just a moment, but there were a bunch of ro- remote areas that they come across that says, oh, this could actually be a good idea. So the remote areas, this was the report. They narrowed it down to a couple of hub cities, Vegas, Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, Dallas, and St. Paul in Minnesota. So this will be interesting because Vegas right now, they're slowly opening up their doors. They're slowly starting to take more people in. But all those remote cities, I mean, you're close by into Canada when you're in uh, Minnesota and St. Paul. Now that's going to be interesting because the U.S. and the and Canada they all have to come together with as far as trying to get these players there because there are visas, there are passports involved, and 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 again, unless they hit a quarantine um, regulation, it'll be interesting how they're going to play that out. But for twenty four teams in remote areas, I can see. I can kind of see where Toronto um, and some of those e- like eastern spots in the East Coast where they have the Eastern Conference could make sense because in the East Coast, honestly, I've, I've traveled to New York multiple times, have family that live there, and you know how close New York is up north to where you go up to upstate and there you are, there's Toronto. So it does hit part of Canada up north. So I think the east I think the east may would make sense but in the west it may be interesting cuz you do have a couple of real good remote areas but that is where the US and Canada have to come together with as far as travels um restrictions regulations however they choose to 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 pull it off but it'll be interesting in the coming days so I mean 24 teams that's how I would see it a best of 3 at the very least, because look, we got to have at least a little bit of fairness. I had colleagues of mine talk about the NBA and trying to make it a March Madness deal, and I'll talk about this with JD in a little bit, but um, but I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting, and we'll see exactly how we break this down a little, little later on. Coming up, we'll be talking a little bit more on the last dance for the last two episodes there, what can what we can expect. JD, uh, uh uh, Bortov from JD Rants is joining in here on the show, so I can't wait to have him on. Really, really nice guy. I feel like we should have a segment of, you know, what's the rant, you know, like because we always have something to rant about every single day. So, but he's going to be great. He's going to be great here, and um, can't wait to have him. So, don't go anywhere. The Snake Sports Talk Show will be right back.
Glad you all could be back here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. Welcome, welcome. Boy, I can't wait for the last dance, the last two episodes here. It's going to be a lot of fun. But again, like I said, I mean, it's taught me a lot about life. And by the way, since I'm here in the comfort of my home, um, one book that's really motivated me just a second before I end up going into the next segment, um, this was a book that I've read when I was really little. I was about five, six years old when I ended up reading this book. But since we're talking about The Last Dance, this book here, Salt and Issues, I really do encourage that, you know, if you got something to read, something great for the kids, I would encourage you guys to check this book out. Uh, it is a small picture book, but it does, you know, it, it brings out a lot because as I've said, he had no support. Michael had no support from his father, no support from his brother, was pushed around a lot from some of the kids in, in school uh, playing basketball. But his mother was so motivating to him that, um, it, it, you know, it pushed him to where he wants to reach his goals. He wants to chase his dream. And I think that that's a great motivating book for so many kids, real young, um, you know, starting out in life. Uh, it, it tells you a lot. Teaches It teaches everybody, teaches kids, teaches adults, teaches everybody. Um, so I would encourage you guys to read this book. I, I, I really do enjoy it. Um, so getting back to um, real quick, I'm talking about the NFL a little bit because I came across this. Um, so I ended up looking at the 2020 uh, strengths of the schedules. So at least the the top tens, how they rank them, is by how much opponent win percentage that it goes by. So you have the highest and the lowest. So the ones that are the lowest are the ones that are the easiest schedules in the league. So the 10 teams that have the easiest schedules are the Ravens, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Browns, the Redskins, Eagles, the Giants, the Eagles, the Saints, and the Chargers. So those are your 10 teams with the easiest schedules. Now, what I could say about those is I think the Redskins and the Bengals have a lot to prove because the Redskins have Ron Rivera, their next head coach, and there were a lot of speculations about Dwayne Haskins. Now, they go and get the best defensive prospect in Chase Young. However, they have to reshape this entire defense, make it to where it is. But the Bengals, we know, have a lot of pressure with Joe Burrow. Heisman Trophy winner, greatest college football season. We're not sure how they're, you know, how Zach Taylor's going to set this up. And Joe Burrow, I guarantee you, because the offensive line is young, the offensive line still has a lot of adjustments. But this is where Joe Burrow, it's not like LSU's offense where he has plenty of time in the pocket. He now needs to step up and be a little bit faster in his pocket presence. I, I, look, he's a really good prospect. Don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of challenges that Joe Burrow has to come across. I mean, he's facing off. If you looked at the Bengals schedule, he's facing off against five top tier defenses. One of them is being the Chargers defense. That's going to be a huge test. And he's playing that at home. He's playing at home. The Chargers are on the road. And there's, you know, you have that defensive front with Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Kenneth Murray, and that entire stacked defensive secondary. Then you got to face Cleveland twice a year. You got to face Baltimore twice a year. You got to face Pittsburgh twice a year. So there are a lot of different challenges for, uh, for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. 
The Browns, this is now no excuses for Baker Mayfield. You have an offensive line that is healthy, and they're ready to go. And they're offensively stacked. Nick Chubb, uh, Kareem Hunt, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, OBJ. There's no time for excuses. And they have a grown-up in the head coaching position in Kevin Stefanski. And by the way, to push Baker Mayfield to his limits, they go and add Case Keenum, a guy that Stefanski knows well in Minnesota that if anything was to happen, Cleveland's going to cut Baker Mayfield off. They're going to come back and say he was probably the worst decision that the Cleveland Browns have ever made. Should have never taken him at number one. Listen, Baker Mayfield has potential, but it's how hard he's willing to work for that potential. That's the ultimate test. But if I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, and here's what's the toughest. So the teams with the toughest are the Patriots, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Niners, the Falcons, the Bills, the Lions, the Cardinals, the Texans, and the Rams. So those are your top 10 teams with the toughest schedules. We know what the Patriots, because the defense has taken a little bit of a hit. Some guys have, have come and gone. Kyle Van Noy, the offensive line has kind of deteriorated. So it's going to be interesting. And I don't know anything about Jared Stidham. I don't know anything about Jared Stidham. And I don't know if he can make it into this league. But the Jets and Dolphins, they they had a you know, they're 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 improving themselves. The Jets getting Mackay Becton. So I don't have to see Sam Darnold run for his life every time. And he's got a real good wide receiver with Brashad Perriman and with Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims, I think, is a steal of the draft. And the Jets, hopefully, if C.J. Mosley is healthy, I think the defense could reshape to be really, really good. And the Dolphins, they got extra added juice. Drafting Tua and then getting a couple of real good defensive guys. I mean, Brian Flores, the last five games that the Dolphins had played, the defense was really, really good. Don't mistake yourself. People have a tendency where... They sh like they 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 shun this to where they say that the Dolphins were tanking. They're not necessarily tanking. If you're talking about tanking, they are losing out the season because there is another uh, uh, prospect in college that they look at that they really want to draft in on their franchise. But this team's improving. This team is improving. You got a quarterback that I think personally, after reshaping that defense, they've earned the right to have that type of quarterback. And they've got Kyle Van Noy, Byron Jones, some real good young defensive pieces. And they still have Xavier Howard. So Miami, Buffalo, and the Jets have a chance in the AFC East. The other teams involved, I mean, outside of Detroit, who I don't think is going to do well, Texans I think are going to take a step back, and so are the LA Rams. But the Bills, of course, have a, have a big-time um, tough schedule. But what did they do right? They got more good defensive players. Sean McDermott is a really good, underappreciated coach, like underrated. And nobody talks about it. But the Bills got better. They got a wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, which was worth trading a, a first-round pick. So Josh Allen now has a number one target. Because, try, you know, throwing to John Brown, who John Brown's only getting older by the minute, you know, still productive, but is not a big-time number one receiver. Josh Allen finally has that. 
So I just look at these schedules. And again, I'm going to be pulling out the uh, the NFC because I did talk about the AFC yesterday. So now it's the NFC's turn and how I see the, the, the division stack up and I see how the playoffs stack up because now with two extra teams, it's going to be interesting how we see the NFL. But the playoffs, it's going to be exciting. Can't wait for it. Time now for the hot press. So on the latest news, of course, um, you know, we talked about the the last dance and inside game seven that nearly spoiled the Bulls' chances. So um, it was in May 1998, and this is where I think, and we're not going to make it a spoiler alert, but this is kind of something that's going to be added here. So... So this is the one thing that I, I I would expect here for the last dance in the last couple of episodes is they're going to talk a lot about Reggie Miller against MJ and that game that could have almost, almost spoiled Chicago's chances of winning the championship again. And that's going to be interesting. And you're going to hear it from MJ and Reggie Miller. I I really am excited to see what the episodes are about. Um, But... Again, and look, watching Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller's a hell of a player, and he's also one hell of an analyst as well in the NBA. Um, he was quite the trash talker. I mean, I remember the times watching him and then seeing Spike Lee when they were facing the Knicks in the Eastern, uh, you know, in the East. And, you know, Reggie Miller, he pulled off some things that even Spike Lee was just, he was beyond mind blown. So uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy watching that. I think having both perspectives from Reggie Miller and MJ's um, perspective in 98, I mean, I like that. I, I think this is going to be interesting. So the Minnesota Vikings have signed uh, Anthony Harris's franchise uh, tender, the safety. So by sending by signing it, Harris will now be paid a guarantee of $11.4 million for the 2020 season. Um, so and, and Anthony Harris, who had a decent season – um, he tied for the NFL with the league, uh, total of six interceptions during his breakout campaign last year and totaled nine over the past two seasons. So, uh, you know, the Vikings, I, I, I look, the Vikings have reshaped themselves to what the, the, you know, they still got a really good roster from top to bottom offensively and defensively, but, um, but, uh, but he, he's a damn good safety. And they needed some safety help because after getting rid of uh, Xavier Rhodes, they know they needed a corner. They go and get Jeff Gladney. They go and get a couple of real good, decent corners. I would have loved to have seen Anton Winfield Jr. go to the same organization that his dad played in. And his dad was a hard, heavy hitter. And he was also somebody to not mess with in the corner position. So um, Minnesota's got a, an, an interesting task uh, in front of them next year. But I'm excited to see that. Also still in the NFL, um, defensive defensive lineman for the Buffalo Bills, Ed Oliver, was recently uh, arrested on DUI and gun charges. Uh, this was Saturday night in his hometown of Houston. He was driving intoxicating while unlawfully carrying a weapon. He um, was taken into Montgomery County Jail after being pulled over on State Highway 242. So both charges are misdemeanors and, you know, 
spent some time up in, in, in jail as well. And so, uh, another crazy news again, I mean, we've been hearing a lot about the giants is Baker and, um, Quentin Dunbar and a lot of these players. So it's like a lot of this stuff is just kind of coming out. Um, but again, it's just like, you know, can you, can you not behave yourselves? You know, it, 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 it's really, really interesting to me, but hopefully they'll get everything resolved. And, um, because again, I, I, the Buffalo bills look real, really good. They look really good. It's not that, you know, they can't, I think they're going to win the division. I said this yesterday. I think they're going to end up winning the division. The jets may be the sneaky team below them, but I think they're going to end up winning the division. Will it come easy? Probably not because there are a lot of things that people have to overcome. They have to set themselves straight. And so I, I, I think Buffalo will have that chance to do it because new England, we know has taken a little bit of a toll, but they're still not a team that, you know, we just, we brush off and underestimate because Bill Belichick, smart minded knows exactly how to shape this thing, but hopefully they'll get things resolved for Buffalo and hopefully we can get ready for the season. Um, not sure exactly how the OTAs are, OTAs are going to be shaped if we even have any, but if we got practices, then, you know, it, it, it'll be fun. It'll be lots and lots of fun. So that was your hot press. So taking a little bit of a break as we um, as we get JD up in here, uh, we'll, we'll be talking a lot more on the NHL, the playoff uh, bracket as well, the 2014. And so coming on with me, JD uh, Bortov is a really really nice guy. You'll know him by um, you know him by JD Rants. He always has something to say. He always has something to rant about. Um, And it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So we'll be talking a lot about the NBA, and we'll be talking a lot about um, the the NHL as well. Because I I just still think that this bracket and the way that everything is going to be set and shaped for the playoffs, because this is what we should be in. We should be in playoff mode. So I I, I don't know how this is going to get pulled off, but hopefully we'll see sooner or later. Just what the new plans are, how they're gonna how they're gonna shape this up, but um, we're gonna take a little bit of a break. We're having a little bit of some technical difficulties, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, so since we took a little shortened break, so the man himself, he's got everything that he has to rant about. When he sees it, he's going to talk about it. And my good colleague here on the Spotlight Sports Network, J.D. Uh, Bortov from J.D. Rants is joining me here today. J.D., we have a lot really to talk about with the NHL playoff uh, bracket and not to mention the potentialities of the NBA coming back. Um, how are things looking up over where you're at right now? I know it's kind of, you know, out here in Vegas, we're having a lot of wins, but how are things looking on your end? 
Well, it's really rainy today, but um, everything's fine in Iowa, honestly. Everything's pretty much back to normal. Uh, there's still a few businesses that are hesitant to reopen because, obviously, you know, there's there's just guidelines that we that we have over here. We don't really have any, like, laws. We're not enforcing anything like a lot of places are, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I mean, we're doing fine. Like, our, our rates are lowering. People are getting healthier. So it's good to be in the country, that's for sure. Got, uh, it's, we're blessed over here. Um, and as far as the NBA goes, man, or the uh, these lockouts, not just the NBA, but all of them, man, uh, I, I think it's time we get sports back. I think it's about that time. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I for me, am, am just basically saying, you know, this has been a, the longest pause that any of us, you know, not even just in America, but even globally that we've seen. And we're coming up with different ideas, different um you know, different alternatives in order to get sports back as a whole. Because the, the number one thing is we know we're not going to have fans in the stands. And we understand that. But as far as getting, like, the kickstart of sports back up is one thing that I'm looking at all these commissioners because Adam Silver and Roger Goodell, I think, have done a great job doing that. We're finally hearing something from Commissioner Gary Bettman in NHL, but we still haven't heard so much of what Rob Manfred and what their their um their plans are to getting baseball season back up because I'm just excited for baseball to get back up. That, that's just one that I think they, they, they can pull this off. So let me just say this real quick before we start talking about um, – the potentialities of the playoffs for both the NBA and NHL. So the last dance tonight, we've got the last two episodes. And as I've said before, if there's anything that the last dance has taught myself and so many others, our audiences here in the show is we learned so much about what the era of basketball was then compared to what the era of basketball is today. Today it's a shooters league, but in Jordan's time, it was a lot of physicality. It was a lot of hard work, dedication, and you, every every minute mattered. Every moment in games mattered. What was the one thing that really kind of caught your attention as we're wrapping up this documentary? What are some things that caught your attention about the last dance? Well, uh, I, I I got a few. I definitely got a few things, but um, to to touch on your point about the differences in the eras absolutely man like you couldn't take there was no plays off like you see and and i know a lot of people a lot of young guys people my age your age our era we just don't understand because we've seen guys you know shoot a three-point shot and not even try to get the rebound and all that stuff and it's just fundamentally the game has gone down the drain in my opinion skill wise the game is through the roof it's obviously more skillful than ever more finesse than ever but back in the day man they, they were grinders they they uh the fundamentals mattered they they really used their bodies they really banged each other they really it, it, it wasn't just bumping and stuff like that and then oh it's a foul it was i'm gonna smack the crap out of you if you try to come down here and that's right way different um but as far as the thing that that uh, that caught my eye that I really like to see, everyone in Chicago is a savage man. <laughs> and I, I always suspected it, but I was like, man, Phil is a savage man. And then even the yeah. sta- even like the um, the people that work for Reinsdorf, I'm like, man, these guys are savages. Everyone's a savage. But anyway, yeah, I lo- I love that. I love that part. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, it, it 
<laughs> it's funny how you bring up like, like some of the certain people in this organization. I mean, yeah, Phil Jackson was one that, again, introduced the triangular offense and said, look, if you can't work with it, I, I mean, and nobody else uses it. Yeah, and nobody else uses it. So having that perspective going on, and then not it's to crazy. mention um, like Dennis Rodman, who created, like we have a name for it now as load management, but who originated that, the taking that time off to where Michael, Scotty, and Tony Kukoc, and even Steve Kerr, and even Horace Grant all had to step up, and all of them had to you know, win the games while he was taking the time off. So there was so much that was happening within the organization and what was happening within the locker room. And I didn't know half of it. Yeah, no, none of us, none, none of us have known, like, if not three quarters of, of the whole thing. We were always used to. We always you know, got Jordan, the good parts. Yeah, we, we we always knew Jordan winning six finals without even losing one, and then of course you know he's the best basketball player in the world, and so we weren't used to what it took, the hard work, and and to get there. So. Um, my biggest thing is because I, again, I'm not spoiling anything, but I think they're, they're going to talk about a lot about Reggie Miller and, and against MJ. Now, Reggie mm. Miller, you and I both know was the type of player that was very impactful for Indiana. And I think was, he was quite the character back then because you, you know, I mean, you, you, you remember the times of when Indiana would play New York and him and Spike Lee got into it and then all this other stuff. So what do you think we could expect in these episodes talking about now Reggie Miller talking his piece of, of that Eastern Conference and MJ as well, how that could have shaped up? He had a few chances. Miller had a few chances. He had a few chances against Kobe, I think, against uh, – I think how many times did he go to the finals? Twice? Anyway, yeah, he had twice. a few chances. Yeah. And he he let it slip, and that's I've actually watched a lot of Reggie Miller talk about his his like you know legacy and everything, and he really underrates himself. He really thinks of himself as like a B B minus player, and I think his contemporaries would argue that he's at least an A minus B plus player. Like I would say, Michael Jordan respected him. I think he gets a lot of respect from from his contemporaries, and that matters. That absolutely matters. Like the people that you go up against. In the playoffs, that's that's who you really should care about, in my opinion. Sure, absolutely. JD from JD Rants joining here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. So let's talk about that then now with um, you know, the because I've always said this that because the NBA now in this era is so much of a shooter's league, when Steph Curry arrived, I mean, the threes now are so valuable than where they were like years ago. Nobody really cared too much of threes. If you had like real good shooters like Steve Kerr, um, Derek Fisher, in my opinion, and 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 some of those guys that we know that are clutch three-point shooters, that was all the guy you need. You didn't need somebody to consistently shoot threes like how we see Steph and Clay and and James Harden and so many others. So when you think about it, and here's what really boggles me: now centers. Like Anthony Davis and, and and Giannis are shooting threes. So I've always stuck to old school basketball. You still got to have a center who's going to block those shots, give you important rebounds, and even going to give you important second chance shots whenever, you know, someone like Steph, Clay, or James Harden don't make those three-point shots, but you have somebody there in the middle. Like, what's your opinion with that? 
the stretch fives, I would say that, yeah, that's what the game's evolved to. And it's, and it's funny. Like it reminds me, it always reminds me whenever I think of this, it always reminds me of one of my football coaches. He would rant about, like, he'd be telling us, he'd be like, um, you know, everybody just wants to throw the ball. Everyone wants to throw it deep. Everyone wants to throw it deep, but you know, you got to run up the middle and then, you look forward in, in, in the future and then same with same with basketball, you know, oh, we got to pound down low block to pound the low block. That's the efficient play. And then you realize that analytically, it's not the efficient play that there's enough people who can shoot the three point shot nowadays that people are that skilled that they can right. shoot the three point shot that that skilled that they can throw the deep ball. They can make the deep pass. They can run the Andy Reid offense. It actually does win championships now. It actually does. Steph Curry's three-point shots do win championships because the skill level has reached the point, the plateau that it needed to reach. Before, there just wasn't that many skillful people. Now you can exploit it. Yeah, so the skill has gone crazy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up about Kansas City because the fact that we see Patrick Mahomes as this, you know, big-time star that just you know just just like takes us all by surprise very very fast in his first full season in the nfl now we just all fall in love with the flashy you know the 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 style and then the 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 arm strength and the throw and so we all just kind of fall in love with that it's the same that we were with steph curry with these three-point shots so um so one thing I'll say about the about the NBA, because since we'll be talking a little bit about the NHL as well, kind of collaborating with that, because we're trying to get we're trying to get sports back as best as we can. We know that there are a lot of tests. There's a lot of safety involved and there's a lot of um, different remote areas. Vegas being one of them. Vegas now has been talked about about both hockey and NBA being a remote spot because of how we've handled COVID-19, how we've handled all these tests. So if the playoffs were to start today, what do you think like should be the one big thing when we get ready for it that the players are tested, the staff members and everybody are are, are, are safe and healthy? How do you think that that do you think is going to you know pan out if we started the, the, the NBA playoffs today? Well, one, I think I think managing expectations is really going to be the, the name of the game, and it's really hard when you have such a crazy, wild media that talks about so many different things all the time. And people, you know, not like you, Jake, but other people don't stick to the facts and actually try to give us the real information. They try to just do all over the place. But what I would say is that what I would say for sure is that somebody's going to get sick. Somebody is going to get sick and we need to make sure to understand that, you know, not everybody is going to get sick. And also that these are professionals in the prime of their life. Not that they're not taking a risk. Obviously, if you're, if you're, if you come to this quarantine, you're signing a contract, you're going to sign waivers, you're going to be taking risks. So you have to manage your expectations. Do I think that it's worth it? Absolutely. I mean, people have to do their jobs. Everybody has to do that. You can't just live in fear your whole entire life. And I'm sure that's what most of the people think. Obviously Blake Snell of baseball, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And some people are not going to want to do it. Okay. You know, next man up, there's going to be, there's going to be that situation. So managing expectations is, I think is the big thing for me. And then two, yeah, just taking care of everybody, just being safe, just being smart. Like if somebody's sick, get away you know like it's it's kind of that simple if you're not feeling good or or you've been around people who haven't felt good take your temperature take the test and uh yeah i mean i would test everyone obviously if you're gonna have a physical physical contact sport nhl nba i feel like yeah you're right everyone who's touching on people needs to get tested that's for sure absolutely that's, that's, that's all they can do 
Absolutely. And I, I, I truly do agree. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting and, and with, especially with baseball, because I found this out that baseball, because the season's on a pause, they are taking an estimated, and this is where uh, politics, financials, it just drives me up the walls because a lot of people are just like, are, are we worried about a lot about the financials? Well, in some ways, yes, but at the same time, we're still worried about the players' safeties. We're worried about you know the fans' safeties and the staff members and everybody that's in the yeah, arenas every single day. Um, but the, the baseball now is taking an estimated six hundred and forty thousand dollar hit. Like they are taking a big time hit, and that's just by per game. That's just by per yeah. game alone. And so you could you could think yeah you could think of all these organizations. Um, how are you going to pay people? You know, like that's right. the problem. You know, you have right. to lay off yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, you got. Yeah, you at this point, you now have to take a couple of job losses up at this point. But that's where it's the scary part. So there's double edged sword, just a double edged sword effect that's happening within you know trying to get sports back, but then at the same time, financials, the the the, the television ratings, and everybody else. So you know, and all the fans are on board of no fans and just watching the games because they want something new. Like you watch this oh, yeah. television show, you watch this, you watch a movie, you want something that's new, like that's fresh. Yeah, Live. exactly. Exactly. So, uh, JD from JD rants is we're, uh, closely wrapping up here. Um, but one thing that I will say, um, for the NHL, because we talked about the NBA and the, and the bracket talking about, um, making it a March madness type deal. So the NHL came out with a 24 team bracket. Now I made this point before coming into this, you know, this interview is I do believe that if we're starting the first games with the low seed teams, I think should be at least a best of three because there's a fairness involved. Now I do understand that it's a little bit time consuming because of the pause and where we sit at now here in mid May. But I do believe that because of just the practice the goaltenders, I think, right now are kind of getting hit with it because they're not getting the repetitions of seeing pucks hit at them every day. So there's that challenge. Where do you see right now, like if the NBA started the playoffs today, do you think it should be a smart move to go into a playoff with a March Madness type deal? Or how do you kind of see this? I think, I mean... I think if you if you're if you're telling me that hockey is going to do a tournament style, that'll get people like me to watch. So I think that'll that the ratings will go crazy. But as far as the NBA question yeah. goes, um, the NBA question, uh, I think that I, I listened I listened to Mark Cuban on Pardon My Take or whatever it was, Pardon the Take or something like that. Yeah, it was it was enlightening. And honestly, Mark Cuban on that show, I recommended to, to you and everyone else after watching this, you got to stick through this whole snake sports talk show first. But after that, because this is what he said, he basically said that they might have some sort of big brother reality show where they have exhibition games between playoff teams. So playoffs. So basically they're not going to activate the teams that are, that haven't made the playoffs, right? They're just going to have some exhibition games, some warm up games between each other. And they're going to have like a quarantine and Disney. So like, I think that's really smart. I think that's really cool. Or Vegas, like you said, either one, whichever one you can lock down. Um, I think that's really cool if they did it for NHL, stuff like that. You can control the environment and you can kind of turn it into like a, an, uh, a show for everyone. Honestly, I feel like, sure. I mean, that's what sports fans like. They like the uh, behind the scenes stuff. And also um, 
it'll build the suspense of the playoffs. Like, oh man, they just got knocked off. Now they all have to leave the leave the building and everything like that. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you could do it. I definitely think it's worth doing it. Um, and I think that there's a lot more at play than than just the money and the players' uh, safety. There's a lot of people's jobs, and there's the stadiums. Like a, a lot of businesses don't invest in their communities like sports teams do. That not a lot of people talk about. Like there is job after. Like if you go to the White Sox or Cubs stadium, there's like a thousand people on hand just working. All those people have families too. All those people have jobs, and they depend on the players to play. Not right. saying that you should risk yourself. If it's not safe, it's not safe. But I think it's yeah. There's a lot to think about with all this. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and that's where I think, you know, with all these organizations and the owners and general managers, how they're kind of taking their meetings day by day, it'll be interesting how they, how they, 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 they plan this out. Because again, I, I, I just still think that if you did it in a March madness type deal, I mean, absolutely. Because the fact of we lose college hoops and we now have to find some way to get some sort of sports back on, whether it's NBA or NHL, how they were going to approach that. But yes, I am. Would you say that as like an asterisk season though? I, I you know, it, it's Would you interesting. even give them a title? Would you give them a title? I mean, I, in my defense, I still would because of the fact of, because if you think about it, we're only eight games away. We were only eight games away, seven games away. So I still technically do believe they should, but. Do you mean I, like one and done? Or do you mean like just shortened, like, is it like one and done, like playoff, like March Madness? Or would it be it, like three games? I, th- I, I, I think it should be three games in my opinion. But if they want to do it a one and done, I think it's just going to be interesting. Because look, is, is anybody going to watch an NBA Finals where it's Oklahoma City against, you know, Miami? <laughs> or, 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 you know, or make oh, matters yeah. worse. It's be like a, three a to Memphis, five games. Yeah, a Memphis Grizzlies and, you know, that type of, you know, Finals. I just think that's going to be interesting. It's going to yeah, be because really, if you really did a one and done, that I feel like you need people to warm up first. Like you can't just, yes. yeah, you got to have at least you got to be ready for like a thirty game span. I feel like at, at the very minimum, if not more. That's just my opinion, at least. I think it's yeah. interesting though. That's an, it's an interesting point you brought up. Absolutely, you know, and like I said, we, I mean, we're we're just kind of getting every single piece of. Uh, every single piece of sources and, you know, whatever we can get to kind of, you know, break it down because all ultimately like, you know, for guys like you and I, we don't have a lot of solutions, but we do think outside the box of what are the possibilities, what could potentially happen. And that's where, you know, we kind of sit down and we talk about it, but JD from JD Rants, it's always so, fun, so man. good. To ta- always fun talking with you, man. Like I said, I mean, it's something that I can think about on the show is, um, you know, doing like a rant segment because again, you always have something there every day to rant about, and it's the best. Here like, for you, you bud. Know, absolutely. So, take care of yourself, man. I really, really do appreciate you taking the time and hopping absolutely. on, and uh, just kind of get Thanks some good, uh, good thoughts. Absolutely. Take care. All right. See you next time, Jake. See you. Uh, JD, I absolutely love it. Love every moment of it, and it's a, it's such a great show today. Hour two coming up next. It's Snake Sports Talk Show.
welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. What a great show it was on hour one. We're in hour two live in 702 Vegas. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show, wherever and however you may be watching and listening today. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is where you can like and follow me on all the social media platforms. Follow me on Spotify for all of my podcast episodes. And subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, channel here on Spotlight Sports Network and the Snake Sports Talk Show. Hit the bell button for all of the latest episodes and videos we have coming your way from myself and from other great colleagues. Man, what a great what a great segment it was talking with JD. It was a lot of fun. Um Man, I, I it, like and and he had he had some really good pointers to say because I still do believe like yes I, I'm all about safety first in the league and how that they're going to approach this I'm not sure and we know we have the best nurses the best doctors out there who will who will gradually make tests every single day anytime that we have games on uh, but I think that's, that that's interesting with the NBA and how that they're trying to approach it as a March Madness type tournament, you know, one and done. I think that may be the, that may be the case. They may end up doing a one and done. I personally think it should be best of three in my opinion, but um, you know, again, anything could go, anything could go from here on out. So, uh, so let me just say this, that, because we haven't had so much of activities happening in the NHL, in Major League Baseball, we have little of activities that happen in the NBA, but most of it is all becoming from the NFL. And the NFL, they've said, we're still ready to go. We're going to be starting up on time. Whether we do have OTAs or we don't, we'll have practices. We'll practice with a lot of these kids. you know. And, and here's what's interesting to me is my my big thing is is that for all these players because you could print out playbooks all the time you could print out playbooks you could fax them over to the players especially quarterbacks they'll, that's what's interesting you they'll fax over the plays but physically if you're not there in practices or anything else it'll be difficult to kind of see how things get played out because I'll give you an example. So let's just say Patrick Mahomes, you know, Andy Reedy has the, the playbook. He faxes it over to Patrick Mahomes and says, here's our playbook. Practice it a little bit before we even get into practice, before we have our first practice meet. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes studies it day in, day out, goes and takes a lot of, you know, some of it, some teammates. Maybe not all of them, but some of them, and maybe even some good friends as well that may help Patrick Mahomes in his his play style. So that way, then it helps him to get muscle memory built into the playbook. That's why I think is interesting. So the NFL has been finding different ways to contacting players to keep them, kind of keep them their minds hungry. They keep their minds ingested with playbooks, play styles, so much more. Um, but in but in baseball and the NHL, not much has been happening. You know, and, and in hockey, especially out here in Vegas, there hasn't been anything going on. And now Vegas is being looked at as one of the remote areas for NHL to start back up in a 24-team playoff bracket. And that's interesting. That goes 12 teams in the West, 12 teams in the East, 
And I still do believe that it should be a best of three matchup until you get to the championships where it should now be best of five, best of seven. Because we can't take away the tradition of one thing of when you watch game sevens. Because of teams, because at least that gives them time to go over different play styles, maybe have to make different changes in the, in lineups or you know ice times and so much more. And that's where I think the, 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 the time and just the, the, the space in between is created to where they, they can they, – look, nobody's going to have a perfect lineup. Nobody's going to have a perfect strategy as to how they're going to handle this because think about it. We've been off for two months. We've been off for two months, close to now getting into three. And so our minds now are trying to – pick back up what we initially thought was lost but was powered down for a second. So that is a a, a hurdle that I think all these teams and these coaches, these players are going to have to go through. Because again, I made this point. The goaltenders right now, they're in the worst position because of this COVID because they haven't gotten repetitions. They haven't seen enough pucks get shot at them and trying to block them. So they, they're not sure where the puck's going to be going. You know, and they're they're like, here's the thing. They get plenty of sleep, but as far as the depth perception, trying to be fast for, you know, to react quick for every puck that's shot at them, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be absolutely difficult. It won't be difficult for some of the, the defensemen or the front line guy, the forwards, to play well, but the goaltenders, because they have to have repetitions of seeing the puck every day, finding ways to block, and finding ways to keep the teams in the game. So I, I still believe that this is going to be an interesting um, – this is going to be just quite the, the, the interesting topic for the next couple of days. And hopefully we'll have something in place. We'll have something there. But it, it's, it's going to be very, very challenging up to this point. Uh, coming up next, because I am going to be talking a little bit more on Major League Baseball, because as I've stated before, they are taking a 640 – thousand dollar hit with this pause alone because there's no games going on and how exactly baseball because there's two remote areas arizona and florida how are they going to map this out to where they get the players they get the teams and they're ready to go they're ready to start playing and playing in a shorter season and already one player has spoke that out We'll break that down here coming up next on the Snake Sports Talk Show.
Oh, what a beautiful Sunday it is to be out here in Vegas. A little bit windy. We've just been having crazy days of winds, but you know, things are getting things are getting better day by day. And and um, as I've said, you know, phase one, we've officially started here in the Vegas Valley. So I can't wait for now the next couple of phases and hopefully um, hopefully now we'll start to kind of, you know, get back to some port some parts of normalcy. So uh, so I just came across this and it's an article and who else better to talk about than Aaron Rodgers? So because I've been coming an I've been I've been coming across an awful lot of Aaron Rodgers this, Aaron Rodgers that. And we've seen we've seen the interview with Aaron discussing about Jordan Love. So now there was an article, and this is by one of the NFL writers, Nick Shook, um, came out and said this, that Aaron Rodgers, not only was he just surprised by one other analyst, but now is excited to help Packers rookie quarterback Jordan Love. Hmm. Interesting, because, you know, somebody said that, you know, Aaron Rodgers was a little bit cranky. Like, he, he wasn't going to hell. The fact that, you know, he wore a lot of people out. This was, this was what was said. Um, there were a lot of key differences, which we know about Aaron Rodgers, but here's the funny thing. Both Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, both had their career sets a little bit similar because both have raw talent, both needed a lot of adjustments just to be prepared for the league. So Aaron Rodgers, this is what it said, finds himself in a situation that could be considered similar to how he began his NFL career. I couldn't disagree, I couldn't agree more because J Jordan Love, if he came into the draft in his junior year, his stock would have went up. But the fact that he spent another year in Utah State, it may have come down slightly, but that's because of the coaching change. So based on the age in which I was and Brett was to when I was drafted, this is Aaron Rodgers saying this, and then comparatively to me and Jordan, there are similarities to that. This was in the conference call to the, report, the reporters Friday. I think there is a lot of things that aren't similar, though, when you look at the two situations as far as Brett's mindset during the 2003 and four season, and obviously my statement about a real desire, a strong desire to play into my 40s and the way I feel about the game and my body and my love of uh, the sport. Do I see some similarities? And I understand, I do see some similarities, and I understand why they're drawn in that effect. So apparently now, Aaron Rodgers seems to be understanding of the idea of taking Jordan Love, as most majority of Packer fans don't seem to quite get. And that's okay. So, because a lot of, a lot of reporters and a lot of, a lot of people have said this, Jordan Love's going to win more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers and even Brett Favre in Green Bay alone. 
Then they were going to say, this is, is not going to work out for Aaron Rodgers. They're basically telling him, listen, Aaron, we run the franchise, not you. As a statement to Aaron after picking Jordan Love. Because even the general manager said that when he's available, they're not going to turn away from the, from the possibility of picking that quarterback. And so everybody's been freaking out about this. I've already shed light about Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts for all the Philadelphia fans. But now this is a little bit of clarity and this is a little bit of understanding. As we've said before, Brett Favre came out and said exactly the same situation that he was in when Aaron Rodgers, a young kid from NorCal, got drafted and Brett Favre was ready to be out the door, possible retirement, but no he goes and plays with the Jets and finishes his career with the Vikings. Aaron Rodgers is in the same particular situation where Jordan Love has raw talent and if coached and managed well, he could potentially be a really, really good quarterback for the future. People don't really see that. This is why I've said, give it about two years with Jordan Love. What's to say Green Bay fans won't rant and rave about Jordan Love after the two years. All he's learning is the playbook. All he's learning about is the coach's methods and how Green Bay, what their next move is to making this team competitive. Because you're looking at the an, an NFC North where the Bears, their defense got better. You've got the Vikings who have, I think, the best roster. Now they've gotten guys like Jeff Gladney and Justin Jefferson they got some real good players, whether it was in free agency or it was in the draft. So they're reloading. They're not in a position where they want to rebuild. They want to be competitive. And Detroit, what more do I really need to say about the Lions? So three teams in that NFC North have chances of being competitive. They have chances of being competitive. But in Green Bay's eyes, because a lot is on the line, that is where, how is Aaron Rodgers going to rebound back? You're talking about a quarterback who had an 83 quarterback rating last year. Lots of balls thrown away, a couple of mistakes. And here's the thing. Majority of the games were based upon defense and were based upon offensive playmakers. Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Not most of that was coming from... Not, not most of that was coming from Aaron Rodgers. And the NFC North is not as bad as people think it is. It's actually getting a little better. Outside of Detroit, you got Chicago, Minnesota, and Green Bay. Minnesota's got better with their offense and their defense because, look, I said this, and which is why it's interesting that the Houston Texans, when trading away DeAndre Hopkins, they didn't get a, number one, a first-round pick. It's really interesting. Minnesota, what did they do? They trade Stephon Diggs. They get a bunch of really good draftees, prospects. And in their first round pick, they go and get Justin Jefferson. The next, they get Jeff Gladney. Minnesota, I think, in my opinion, is a smart organization and is only getting better. Chicago has a lot to really look forward to because Mitch Trubisky. Now having Nick Foles as a backup quarterback, they gotta, he's got to put in more work. 
He's got to be a much better quarterback than where he was last year. There were a lot of questions. There were some disappointments. That's where Trubisky has to get better. Otherwise, Nick Foles, it's not going to be an easy road to walk in and be a really good offensive powerhouse, but anything is possible. But that's where Matt Nagy knows how to work with it. And Nagy, by the way, is a really good coach. I'm not denying that. And I'm pointing that out. He's a really good coach. So anybody that goes after Matt Nagy for some of the things that are happening with Trubisky and so much in Chicago, it's not all Nagy. Mind you. In Green Bay, you get Jordan Love because of the reasons of what's next now for Aaron Rodgers. They're not going to ask for a trade. So stop putting that out there about talking about a trade yet. Aaron Rodgers is only going to play out till his contract expires. And then eventually, he has the choice. Look, Tom Brady played until his contract year and then goes to Tampa. Why? There were a lot of personal things he had to take care of, and he needed fresh new eyes. He needed a fresh new start. Because look, 20 years of greatness in New England, it was not great. But at the end of the day, you got six Super Bowls. You're basically one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Peyton Manning, Indianapolis, gave him the benefit of saying, we loved you here, but we're now starting to think of the future. And we hope the absolute best for you. Why he chose Denver is because the offensive line protected him. There were a lot of really good offensive weapons. And the defense was ready to stop every offensive play at all costs. That's why Peyton chose Denver. So everybody has choices. Joe Montana had a, Joe Montana in a way was traded away. Didn't really have much of the choice. But in the end of his career, that's where things were. You know what? It's not a stain in my career. Will it be a stain in Aaron Rodgers' career if he leaves Green Bay? I don't think so. Because Green Bay is one of those interesting franchises that once they move off their quarterbacks, it'll usually depend whether the quarterback retires or he just goes to a different team. We've seen that with Favre. He's done that twice. I'm not talking about a uh, retirement, but then he's still playing. So, And he wasn't ready to be done yet. So time once again for the hot press. So, uh, you know, Devin McCourty came out and said this with uh, Tom Brady, who's now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, that everybody cannot wait to see him uh, play out. But, uh, but Devin McCourty had this to say, saying that Tom Brady leaving New England isn't the end of the world. So what he mentioned that, he told, um, he told Sirius XM on the NFL radio saying, honestly, didn't think twice about Tom Brady's free agency because I was a free agent. And now McCourty is back with uh, New England for two years. That was my main concern, where my family would end up. Would we be back in New England? Then when I signed my deal, I was back. You kind of think of all the guys, Tom, the Kyle Van Noys, the Jamie Collins, 
all those guys you had relationships with, Matthew Slater, that you kind of know this could be it. That could have been the last game I played with these guys. When he made a decision, to me, it wasn't like the end of the world. So, again, things that have happened in Tom Brady's personal life and so much. Um, you know, and, and, and again, I'm with him on that. I, I understand that. I don't believe Tom Brady leaving New England was the end of the world. We've seen this with Joe Montana. We've seen this with Peyton Manning. We've seen this with you know Brett Favre and a lot of these quarterbacks. They move on because a lot of these um, organizations, they either have a plan in place or they're, they're, they're just thinking of the futures in different ways. So Tom leaving New England was not the end of the world. That's where people kind of have to take that down a notch. It's not the end of the world. Tom is still playing until he, you know, he's 45. And so it, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how the NFC plays out. But I still think it's going to be fun seeing him play Drew Brees twice a year, seeing him you know, playing Matt Ryan twice a year in the South, and then playing against Carolina. This is going to be really interesting, but I am with I'm with Devin McCourty up on that one. I don't believe it's the end of the world. I don't believe that. So, uh, of course, the NHL trying to get themselves back into playing again, which I do believe they should go right into the Stanley Cup playoffs. So they initiated a potential proposal about having a 24-team playoff bracket that will feature 12 teams in the West, 12 teams in the East, and... The remote areas, as we've said, Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, uh, Vegas, St. Paul, and Minnesota, and you know different uh, different remote locations. So again, I still believe that this all has to come down to what are the regulations as far as quarantining, testing, and how they're going to plan how they're going to pan this out. Because in the NHL, in the NHL world, and people and fans will, and and analysts will tell you this. There has to be a Stanley Cup champion. There has to be. So if you don't have the playoffs, imagine because the NHL, if you think that they are really worth all of that money compared to the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, <laughs> you're absolutely wrong about that. Because a lot of money goes toward the equipment, a lot of money goes toward merchandising, and a lot of the money goes toward the arenas, concessions, and so much more. So the NHL as a whole are going to take massive hits if they don't get a Stanley Cup playoff. Um, if they don't get a Stanley Cup playoff this year, and then there has to be an asterisk in place. Look, I know all of us we're all thinking of putting an asterisk in 2020 because of the fact of what has happened throughout this coronavirus, how that we're all handling this, and why sports itself has taken a halt. So. I just still believe that if the 2014 bracket was to happen, a best of three at least in those first rounds, and then by the time we get to the championship and the Stanley Cup final, it should be best of five, best of seven. That's just my opinion. I do believe that the NHL, they got because again, I, I, it's been sounding like crickets in the NHL. I haven't heard anything, and there hasn't really been anything um, that has happened in the hockey world. So all of us are all kind of shaking our heads and scratching our heads thinking, when is hockey going to get back? So it will be interesting. 
not sure how that you know that's gonna not sure how that's gonna pan out, but hopefully we'll get something in place. Uh, that was your hot press. So coming up next, as we begin to, begin to wrap up the show, I'm going to be uh, doing my best for last. I talked about the AFC predictions with all the teams in the NFL. I'm now going to be focusing more on the NFC, the division uh, stacks, and, of course, the, um, the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting. And I think the NFC, much like the AFC, there are going to be a lot of open holes. There are going to be a lot of – because uh, the NFL season, which I cannot wait for, I don't rant and rave about this all the time, but when I looked at post-free agency, post-draft, everything's set. Outside of Jacksonville, Detroit, and so many teams, whether they're close to cap hits or whatnot, this is a no-excuse year. This is a no-excuse league now. All the teams have their players in place. So I'm going to explain that now about the NFC because I think the NFC is very unique. There are a lot of teams who have fixed their problems, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. So you don't want to miss that here on the Best for Last Snake Sports Talk Show.
All right, you guys. Well, I really do appreciate all of you joining in here on the Snake Sports Talk Show on the Spotlight Sports Network. I really do appreciate um I really do appreciate all of you guys hanging out with me all throughout this whole weekend. I hope all of you guys are having a great weekend and hope you have a great week ahead. So um so finally, because I had to readjust a few things. So I finally have my best for last, which is the NFC predictions, because we looked at the AFC yesterday, and I've said this, that I think Baltimore is going to win their division in the North. Cleveland might luck themselves out and potentially make the playoffs. Then you've got Pittsburgh, who could be lurking in. Colts are going to win the division in the South. There may be a little bit of a pushback with Tennessee being a 9-7 and team because they're a grinding-type team. Um, I think the Bills are going to win the East. Jets may be looking to push a wild-card playoff run. And maybe something out of Miami. It'll be interesting. And then the Chiefs winning the West again, but the Chargers going 11-5. Uh, I think the Broncos might go 9-7 and seven and the Raiders going 6-10. and 10. I, I, I think that this is... I think this is fair. Like that's the teams that I have in the playoffs: the Chiefs, the Chargers, uh, the Broncos, the Colts, um, the Bills, potentially either the Browns or the Jets, and then you have Baltimore. So anything could happen up to this point in the AFC. So we're going to take a look at the NFC now and how this is going to how this is going to shape itself. This will be interesting to watch. So. Without further ado, let's get the NFC underway. So we're starting in the NFC North. That's the Vikings, the Bears, the uh, the Packers, and the Lions. So I do believe that the Vikings are looking to be a team that will win the NFC North. Look, say what you want to about Minnesota. Okay, there have been a lot of potentials with them that they come out, they win some games, and you no, know, they're t they're a team that could potentially be much better than where they were last year. Now, a lot of questions are: Is Kirk Cousins going to be productive? Now, they did get rid of Stephon Diggs, but they got another better wide receiver in Justin Jefferson in the draft. So, him and Adam Thielen sharing the football in the wide receiver core, I think, is great. Dalvin Cook was coming out of a really, really good year, so I do see the Minnesota Vikings potentially going eleven and five, possibly ten and six. Because look, the, the, the NFC North, outside of Detroit, it's competitive. It's competitive with them, the Bears, and the Packers. So Minnesota's got a lot of things to work on because we know the defensive front line is not strong as it was before. The, the secondary, surprisingly, has maintained since the draft. Um, but Minnesota's got a lot of different things to work with. Now, Chicago, on the other hand, I do kind of potentially see and go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. This is a team now that they fixed up their defenses. They also ended up drafting two tight ends because, listen, Chicago fans, because I do have a colleague of mine, very, very smart, and he told me about this. The reason that they get the two tight ends set is to protect Mitch Trubisky and opening holes for the run game. So if they don't have that, Chicago's going to struggle. And Chicago has some interesting weapons. You've got Jimmy Graham, who's a veteran tight end where like I'm not sure exactly how his worth is going to be because his his numbers started to drop. But Cole Komet, 
in a in another tight end set, like you look at how Baltimore did their run first offense, like they they made this puppy work. So, and then the defense got better with their linebacking position, the front line, and of course the secondaries. Now the secondaries need a little bit more work, but I think they fixed their problem. But I do think they're a grinding team this year that could potentially go eight and eight, nine and seven. Green Bay, on the other hand, I see going eight and eight. Now, in Green Bay's defense, you know, because everybody's freaking out of the fact of why didn't Green Bay draft a wide receiver? Why didn't they end up getting some help? Look, if you look at the same thing I'm looking at with Green Bay, Green Bay's got support. Aaron Rodgers has help. So I I don't want to hear this saying Aaron Rodgers doesn't have help. He's got wide receivers. He's got a really good productive running back, and he's got an offensive line that's protecting him. Now, minus Brian Bulaga, the left tackle, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. But Green Bay's got to figure this thing out. So Aaron Rodgers, we're not sure how he's going to rebound for next season after what he's come across last season. But there are some pushes, and there are a lot of things that Matt LaFleur is trying to produce in with the offensive uh, schematics. But Green Bay's got to figure this thing out. And then finally, you know, Detroit, I think they're going to go 13-3. and They're trying to put this whole... New England style with Matt Patricia, I just don't think this is going to work. And look, it's nothing against DeAndre Swift. I think he's a really, really good running back. But the offensive line's deteriorated. You have literally no protection for Matt Stafford, who, by the way, came off a back injury. So Detroit, I think, is taking a loss from there. But Vikings, Bears, Packers, Lions is where I see the stack. Now we go to the NFC South. Now this is what's going to be very interesting because it's not going to be Tampa Bay winning the division. I, I, I'm i just being honest with you. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to win the division. I do see the New Orleans Saints winning it. Look, New Orleans has been getting a bunch of tough breaks. Playoff woes. Um. Drew Brees, like he was injured last season, but Teddy Bridgewater came in in the most important role and kept New Orleans, they kept him straight. So New Orleans won more games. Now Drew Brees is coming into a year where it's the last two years of his career being in New Orleans, and I think he's going to finish it up really, really good. I think this is a really good tour for him. So you get Emmanuel Sanders, a really good wide receiver next to Mike Thomas. You've got a guard they drafted from uh, from Michigan to help protect Drew Brees at all costs, uh, minusing the injuries. Now, here's what's interesting. They have Taysom Hill that they'll utilize a lot because I do love the kid, very hyper-athletic. And you've got Jameis Winston, who they're hopefully going to help him in his game. If they were able to do that with Teddy Bridgewater, they could certainly do that with Jameis Winston. And he stays within that a- NFC South division. So the Saints, of course, fixed up a little bit of their defense as well, bringing back Malcolm Jenkins for the secondaries. So New Orleans, they got some tough competition, but I think it's going to be fun. Uh, Tampa Bay, I do see going in 10-6 and six because of the fact of look at the division that they're in and the NFC, how it's stacked. Now, the NFC is wide open. And with Tom Brady going into a new team, with a familiar face in Rob Gronkowski, and but new players like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. He's got some good offensive players. Now, I really, really do like the Keyshawn Vaughn draft because 
you're getting a running back who can run and catch and could also move the chains to get first downs. So, and I was saying this because they were only a running back set away from being a very competitive team in the NFC. So the the, the Buccaneers have a new set, but it's going to be very, very tough to overcome a lot of obstacles. But I think Tom Brady's prepared for that. In the last couple of years of his of his career, I think Tom Brady's going to overcome that. But I do see the um, I do see the Buccaneers going ten and six. Um, look, Carolina, I think is going to go eight and eight, but they could potentially be a nine and seven team because they're not in a position where they're going to be in complete rebuild mode. Matt Rule in his career as a coach in college, where he had two different programs, he was able to reshape those programs. What's to say he doesn't reshape Carolina? Carolina, when Ron Rivera was there, knew how to shape the defense, knew how to make it competitive, and they were really, really good offensively, despite having the Cam Newton stuff. So they got Teddy Bridgewater as a new franchise quarterback. They got some real good offensive weapons, and Christian McCaffrey, still the best running back there in the league. Now, the defense is a little different because Luke Keekley retired. They bring in Derek Brown. Now, they do have some good defensive sets. This is where I think the test is for Matt Rule, how he's going to shape that, how he's going to address it. So this is not, I don't believe, as a rebuilding team, but I do see Carolina being a little bit competitive. They could potentially push for a playoff spot, but there's, there's really, really good potential. And then finally, the Atlanta Falcons, 5-11. and 11. Look, since losing Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator, they just couldn't figure this thing out. Now, I could be wrong that Atlanta could be an, an, an interesting team in the South because they could turn around and be 7-9. and nine. I have them 5-11 and 11 right now because the only reason why the defense right now, they, they lost a couple of really good secondaries. They even lost a little bit of their linebacking position and even their defensive front. This is, this is one of those obstacles that Dan Quinn has to come across. And Atlanta right now, I mean, Matt Ryan could make some things happen, but it'll only happen when they're at home. So it's going to be tough competition, but I do see the Saints, Buccaneers, Panthers, and Falcons there in the South. Let's go to the NFC East now. Now, this is an interesting division. So I do see the Eagles. Yes, the Eagles going 10 and 6 and winning the division. Look, say what you want to about Carson Wentz and say what you want to about how the Eagles planned their draft out. They got Jalen Rigor, wide receiver from TCU. A lot of people freaked out about why they didn't get Justin Jefferson, but they did get a lot of wide receivers. They got Marquise Goodwin from San Francisco for literally nothing. And they fixed up their secondaries, and they also fixed up a little bit of the linebacking position and the front line. I mean, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox. I mean, the defense is still maintained. And Carson Wentz punched the ticket into the playoffs when Dallas was healthy. Dallas was healthy, and they never made the playoffs. Philadelphia was banged up, and they went 9-7, and and they made the playoffs. Because Carson Wentz is the type of quarterback who is not just a winner. Don't get confused with that. He's not just a winner, but he's a guy that wants to win a championship. So he's going to do whatever it takes to get to that point. And listen, Jalen Hurts is an insurance policy when I look at it with the situation with Philadelphia. He is the guy that if Carson Wentz gets hurt, he could come in, 
He's learned two. He has learned two different play style methods from Alabama to Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is going to make this thing work. And Doug Peterson, by the way, when backup quarterbacks like Nick Foles, what's to say Jalen Hurts is not productive? So I think Philadelphia going 10 and 6, winning the division. They got receivers. You're going to get receivers back. The offensive line is going to get a little healthy. So look, don't bash Howie Roseman and how he works his general managing skills when it comes to free agency drafting. They're going to do fine. Cowboys, I do see going eight and eight because let's be honest, you lose Byron Jones, the one productive corner, you lose Jeff Heath. And so that secondary position is going to be a little bit challenging, but they do go and get CD Lamb next to Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Now, Dak Prescott has not, Dak Prescott's not been paid. And a lot of people are concerned about that. But, Dak Prescott, you were offered a $33 million a year type contract, but you turn that down. Dak Prescott is not a $40 million a year type quarterback. I'm sorry to burst a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans' bubbles, but it's true. And they already paid Amari Cooper over $100 million for five years. You paid J- Jalen Smith. You already paid Zeke. You're going to have to pay Demarcus Lawrence, and you're going to have to pay Leighton Vanderesh. So if things don't work right with Dak Prescott and there's a potential holdout, you get a guy who used to go to school in Texas in Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's not a terrible quarterback, okay? Don't get, don't get this twisted. He's been to playoffs. He's like he, he has experience in that. The thing of it is he had an offensive line at one point in Cincinnati. So if he comes into Dallas where – Minus Travis Frederick, which that could be a concern. What's to say Andy Dalton can't be productive? It's not the fact of, can Dak Prescott do this or do that? But can he still maintain the production with all of the offensive players around him? So that's where I just think there's still going to be a lot on the line. But a lot can change because Mike McCarthy now is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Lots of things can change. The Giants, I do see kind of going seven and nine. The only reason why is like, look, I love their wide receivers. I love their their weapons that they have. Corey Coleman, uh, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Daniel Jones took us all by surprise. The question is, is the Giants defense going to be enough to where they can match up with their in-division teams? Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I personally... Joe Judge coming into this puppy, I don't know how he's going to run the Giants' systems, both offensively and defensively. But Daniel Jones, I'm not underestimating. He can play in this league. He can make some things happen, and Saquon Barkley is going to be healthy. So I think the Giants are going to have some hurdles they're going to have to overcome. Now, they could turn things around, but this is just where – how their defense is going to shape and how the offense is going to move. And then finally, you know, the, the Washington Redskins, they're in a rebuild mode. I mean, look, there's a lot of speculations about Ron Rivera, how he's going to shape this defense now that they got Chase Young, which I'm happy they got. And then, of course, Dwayne Haskins. Can Dwayne Haskins overcome some of those scenarios he went through last year? And it's, it's, it's a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions for Washington. So I do see Philadelphia, uh, Dallas, 
the Giants, and the Redskins in the East. Now, finally, the NFC West. And so this is how I have it stacked up. So Seattle, I see going 13-3. and three. You know what this is? We, you've heard Russell Wilson all throughout the last couple of days. He is being knocked and pushed around again. And you paid Russell Wilson all this money because you know he's the face of that franchise. He's the reason why Seattle is one of the top five well-ran franchises. Before him, they were so irrelevant. I mean, Pete Carroll had been there two years prior to where Russell Wilson was in, but they were so irrelevant. Even before this whole, this, you know, this whole process with bringing Russell Wilson in, Russ turned this organization around. And I have a feeling because of all these doubts and with all these critics and how they had him ranked by Pro Football Focus, who I believe is really unfocused and shouldn't work from home. But I think Seattle's got a purpose, and I think they're going to go 13 3. Look, Russell Wilson hasn't gotten hurt once. So even with a good offensive line or a terrible offensive line, um, I think Seattle's going to make this thing work. And keep in mind, because we knew how good San Francisco is, but even San Francisco had to keep on their heels because of how good Russell Wilson is with the football and how he can create space. But um, DK Metcalf was a steal of the draft. He's definitely going to be shown as the number one wide receiver for Russ. And you have Tyler Lockett. So he, all he's asking for is just give me a little bit more weapons, maybe give me a little bit more of some help and some defensive help, and maybe we can make this thing work. So Seattle's got some good stuff uh, to come across. San Francisco, I think, is going to go 12-4 and because they're on the radar. We don't know how their offense is going to be set up, but however, they go and get Brandon Ayuk from Arizona, and you got Debo Samuel, who last year, even in the Super Bowl, he popped. He definitely popped. So it'll be interesting to see how San Francisco works their defense, but they did get Javon Kinlaw, and they did get a little bit of some good defensive pieces. So they're still maintaining themselves on the defensive front lines and even in the secondaries. I think the secondaries needed a little bit of help. But uh, we'll see how the offensive line plays out. But they did get Trent Williams in a trade after Joe Staley announced his retirement. So Jimmy G's got some protection. So uh, look, Jimmy G's coming off a year where he completed 69% of his throws. So it's not Jimmy G as the reason why that San Francisco didn't win the, the, the Super Bowl. They made the executions. It just didn't go their way. And finally, you got Arizona and L.A., who I think they might both go 6-10 and tw- uh, six and ten, or L.A. might go 5-11. and 11. Look, L.A. is hit with a cap hit. It's not looking good for the Rams. But I don't underestimate Sean McVay as an offensive coordinating coach who's going to make this thing work with Jared Goff, Pate Early. I think he's going to make this thing work. But Arizona as the 6-10 and and team, hear me out. Even though they did get DeAndre Hopkins in that trade with Houston, Arizona is going to be a fun – they're going to be a fun 6-10 and team. I mean, but the thing of it is – now, they did get Isaiah Simmons in the draft – they get they fixed up a uh, the the linebacking position. They got a a hybrid defensive player who I think is very very talented, but the offensive line is still not legitimate enough. It's still not good. So I think Arizona is going to be a fun six and ten team. Now they could turn around and go seven and nine, and I, I'm I just I'm just going to love just watching Arizona with 
um, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, and Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, the wide receivers, they're going to have fun with this. So it'll be fun to watch Arizona. So I do see Seattle, San Francisco, Arizona, and the Rams in the West. So this is your playoff set. So your number one seed is going to be Seattle, number two. Uh, I, I do see New Orleans probably getting a break at number two because it's both them and um, Minnesota. But I think Minnesota could turn around and be a number three seed team. Now, there could be a chance where you've got Tampa Bay as well. But it's Seattle, New Orleans. Then it goes to Minnesota, Tampa Bay, possibly Chicago. you got Philadelphia in the playoffs, uh, San Francisco as well. Dallas could turn themselves around, and so could Carolina. But that's what I have as far as the playoffs. I just do believe... So I do believe that Green Bay is going to take a step back. They may be lucky enough if they make the playoffs, but I don't see them making a huge jump in that NFC North. It's just not going to happen. So that's my NFC predictions from there. I like it. I really, really do like it. And the NFC North, as I've said, Minnesota, everybody's going to turn their heads like away from them, but I do think they're going to win the division. Chicago right now is just going through a lot of different challenges and different circumstances with is Mitch Trubisky going to be productive? And then you got Green Bay. How is Aaron Rodgers going to deal with this whole thing? But the South is going to be interesting. But New Orleans, I think, is going to win that division. Tom Brady is going to punch in a ticket in the wild card. He'd be lucky enough if he ends up winning the division. But it's tough competition. Anything can happen. And Philadelphia, they're going to get healthier. They're going to be much better with all the wide receivers and, of course, all the defensive uh, secondaries there. But, um, but, I, but I like this. I, I absolutely like this. So, And again, Seattle, people are doubting Russell Wilson for whatever reason. They just keep bashing him, and it's ridiculous. But Seattle's going to come out really, really good. And, and Carson Wentz, yeah. There are no excuses, but as I've said before, Jalen Hurts is probably the best insurance policy that you can ask for. So that's why I'm like, Philadelphia fans need to stop freaking out about that. Um, if Carson Wentz gets hurt, it's not a loss really for Philadelphia because it's a team effort rather than it's just the quarterback. If you think about it, they got some good defensive pieces, they got a good offensive line, and they got some good weapons. So, and I do believe Miles Sanders is going to come out as a really good productive running back. So don't kid yourselves. Like d d don't kid yourselves. So the NFC is going to be a lot of fun and I can't wait for it. So that there is going to conclude the rest of the show, man. I, 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 again, I can't wait for the last dance. The last dance is going to be so much fun. I can't wait for what the, the, the finale is going to look like. I mean, everything that we've watched in this documentary, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And I think our perspectives about Jordan, they've definitely changed or they're going to change. But look, this is not taking anything away from LeBron. It's not taken away from anybody else. But it's more of an understanding and a realization that Jordan didn't have it his way. Jordan didn't truly have it his way. He was the most paid basketball player in the nation. And he had some really good supporters. He had Scotty, and he had Dennis Rodman, Tony, Tony Kukoc, Horace Grant, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson. 
if you think about it, the la- the previous coach that was there was even a really good coach. That's not taking it away from him. But Jerry Krause thought it was a good idea that bringing in Phil Jackson was going to turn this thing around and they were going to win championships of it. So stay tuned for the last dance tonight. Um, we also have our watch party here on the Spotlight Sports Network, so you don't want to end up missing that. That's going to conclude our show for this weekend. Have a great weekend and have a great week ahead, folks. Can't wait to see you guys next weekend. Take care of yourselves. Be safe and be healthy.